Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit christchurchlondon.org. Thanks, good morning, good morning. Happy New Year. We can still say that, hey? Happy New Year. Amazing. Um, It is great to be together this morning, and if you have joined us for the first time, we're actually taking a theme for the next few Sundays that we're together as consuming fire. (laughs) Consuming fire is actually an image in the Bible that is given to describe God. It is given as a way to help us understand that God is not passive or inactive or uninvolved with the world, but that he is a God that is full of faith and passion and purity and power. And so if we are walking with him, if we are living with him, this is the life that we are alive in. The Christian life is one that is a wholehearted response to a wholehearted love. It is a love that burns within us. And the title that we've been given this morning is Burning Hearts. Don't panic. There's no crazy ceremony is going to take place, but it's actually taken from a phrase and a story that we're going to read together, where two followers of Jesus said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us when Jesus opened the Bible to us? And this is where we're going today. This is where we are stopping. We are celebrating and honoring and maybe receiving for the first time or again the gift that the Bible is. This is where we are at today. The Bible has changed my life. The Bible has saved me. The Bible has given me wisdom to walk the seasons that I have found myself in through life. It has awakened me to who God is and who I am. It literally has been a lifeline to me in my life. I have known other people who this has been the case for also. I have known a guy in his 40s who had a very different way of life to mine. He was caught up in drugs and gang warfare, and so much so that one day he went and shut himself in his grandma's apartment because he was scared of what he might actually do. And in his grandma's apartment, there wasn't very much, but there was a Bible. And even though for the first few days he was high on drugs, he opened the Bible and he read it. And by the time that he had left that apartment, the Bible on his own, him and the Bible and God, had freed him and set him on a whole other way of life. Maybe you're sat here and you're thinking, oh my goodness, that is like my story. I have had an incredible encounter with the Bible, or or I haven't, but daily I have known that it's walked me to life. Or maybe you're sat there and you're thinking, are you serious? Are you actually serious? How can an ancient text have any relevance whatsoever to life today? Maybe you're thinking, I've read it, I've tried to understand it, I just can't, it's not for me. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I, I, I do love it, but I just I don't have time for it. I don't think it can quite fit into my life. Wherever we may be on the spectrum, I am sure there is some of us at all stages. But the Bible isn't just for a few of us at one end of this spectrum. It's not just for the special few or what we may think of as the super spiritual people. The Bible is for every single one of us. The Bible actually comes to find us and help us come alive. And this is what happened in the story that we're going to be reading about today, our passage today. Today, we're going on a journey. 
We're going on a journey with two disciples of Jesus in a journey that they took about 2,000 years ago. We're not sure who they were. Some have speculated. We don't know very much about them, but we find them on a journey from Jerusalem on a road about seven miles long to a place called Emmaus. Two ordinary people walking along an ordinary road, but this was no ordinary journey. The context, the timing of this is that they're walking on this journey just after Jesus had been alive and then he'd suffered and then he'd been crucified and then he'd come back to life. We actually find them on resurrection day, the day when Jesus had come back to life. But these two disciples had actually left Jerusalem where all this had taken place and they were on their way out. They were headed to Emmaus, not in a celebratory walk. They were not so excited about everything that had happened that they couldn't wait to go and tell Emmaus all about it. We actually find them, the Bible describes them as downcast. They're despondent. They're hopeless. They're confused. They've given up. They don't know what on earth is happening. They're over it, basically. And this is where we find them in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now, that same day, the day Jesus came back to life, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing them. He asked them, sorry, they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was gonna redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to where, where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So they went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at what, excuse me, and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by him when they broke the bread. If your prayer is that you want to know Jesus, or you want to know Jesus more, then this walk of Emmaus can walk us through 2020 and beyond. 
What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at what happened on this road. As the disciples were walking along, Jesus appears to them and he asks them the question, what are you discussing as you're walking along the road? Jesus, who has just come back to life, Jesus, who could be doing anything. He could have been throwing parties. He could have been hosting big conferences. He could have been doing anything he wanted. But instead, he spent his time going to find people where they were at. He did it with Peter and other disciples who were fishermen. He went and he sat on the beach and he cooked them breakfast and he restored their souls. And he did it with these two disciples. He goes and finds them on this random road. Two disciples, we don't even know the name of one of them. But Jesus appears alongside them on their journey and he asks them, what are you talking about? If Jesus asked us the question today, if Jesus asks you that question today, if he came alongside you on the walk of your life, if he came alongside you on this walk through this next year and he says to you, what are you discussing? What are you talking about this morning? What's your internal dialogue? What are you talking about with your friends? What's on your mind? What's on your heart? What are your hopes? What are your disappointments? What are you wrestling with? What are your questions? What are you talking about? What would you say? Would you be honest? If our prayer is to know Jesus and be known by him, to love Jesus and be loved by him, honesty is where it needs to begin. Honesty is where it needs to begin. The disciples were honest. I mean, this is an amazing, I love this story. It's so beautiful and powerful and it's also a little bit hilarious because after Jesus has asked them this question, Jesus says to them, what are you talking about? And they say to Jesus, are you the only one that hasn't heard? Are you serious? Jesus doesn't then say anything except, oh yeah, what's been going on? What things have been happening in Jerusalem? And they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. Except they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus from their own perspective, from their own understanding, from their own perception of everything that had happened. Jesus, he was this great guy. He was so good. We thought he was the answer to our prayers. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one. We thought that he was the one that was going to come and redeem Israel. Everything was pinned on him. It looked so good. Except now he was crucified and he was killed. And not only that, but angels have come and they've lied to us. And we've got a missing body, basically was their story. They even said, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, empty, but they didn't see Jesus. These disciples hadn't even gone themselves. They took their friend's word for it. They gave up all hope and they left Jerusalem. What a story to walk in. No wonder they were downcast. No wonder they were hopeless. No wonder they were confused. No wonder they were walking with their heads down. They'd given up. They left their community they left where they were meant to be and they were writing it all off as one more failed attempt. What a story to tell themselves. A few years ago, I went to the pictures cinema. Uh, <laughs> I always call it the pictures, I do. <laughs> the cinema. Um, and the sea containers just over the road. Um, 
and it's the Kazan Cinema, really nice cinema. Uh, you go downstairs, it's in the, in the basement of a fancy hotel, and you get a lift down to the bottom, watch your film in the sofas. And so me and a friend had gone there this one night, we'd watched our film, we were leaving, and so we were waiting at the lift to take us back up to the hotel level so that we could come out onto the South Bank. Press the button for the lift, the lift doors open, I feel my friend next to me stiffen. So I immediately, in a split second, wrote a story in my head. <gasps> because as these doors opened, there was three guys in the lift. And the story that I told myself was, my friend's really nervous about getting into the lift with these three guys. I'm going to have to sort this situation out. I'm going to have to take care of this. I'm going to help her make her feel relaxed. I'm going to let her know that this is all OK. So I walk into the lift. We walk into the lift together. The three guys are here. They're just having, you know, the good night, looking up, you know, talking amongst themselves. I walk in, evening guys. Hello. <laughs> There's a metal bar around the lift. I never do this, but I walk in, so I'm about this far away. They're in one corner, there is the whole rest of the lift. Because I'm so like, hey, let's just put each other at ease. Let's all just be in this lift together. I walk <laughs> over until I'm about this far away from one of the guys. Put both my arms on the railing, <laughs> cross my legs, stand there. Hotel lobby, thank you very much. <laughs> the guy presses the lift. I turn to my friend and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to just, you know, keep talking, keep her mind off it, whatever she's nervous about. How's the film? What have you got going on this week? She is like just not engaging with my conversation whatsoever because she was at thinking, what the heck is Joe doing? She's being so weird. But I'm like, she's nervous. Like, it'll be okay soon. I'll just keep this conversation going. We get to the lobby floor. Uh, the doors open, I thank the guys, have a great night, <laughs> take care, walk out. I say to my friend, you okay, hon, what's the matter? And she says to me, do you know who that was? And I said, no. She said, that was Craig David. <laughs> <laughs> I'd gone, stood this far away from him, here he is. When the lift doors opened, she was starstruck. <laughs> here was one of her celebrity crushes. I wrote a whole other story. <laughs> she was like, I wonder what the heck you were doing. Why are you being so weird? <laughs> I did not recognize him. I did not know who I was in the presence of. <laughs> being in the presence of Craig David, as great as I'm sure he is, is nothing like being in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you, when we don't recognize who we're in the presence of, we can write a whole other story. We're told in our passage in the Bible that the disciples were kept from recognizing Jesus. We don't know what kept them from recognizing him. But we can ask ourselves the question, what is keeping us from recognizing Jesus in our lives? What may be keeping us from seeing Jesus? What may be keeping us from recognizing his love, his presence, his provision, his timing, his care, his wisdom? Could it be our own disappointment? Could it be our own hurt, our own loss, our own I had hoped? Could it be our own confusion, our questions that keep us from recognizing the author and the perfecter of our faith? Because if so, we will begin to write our own stories that are authored by our own understanding, our own perception of the situation, our own confusion, and therefore conclusions. We can be walking alongside the crucified, resurrected Jesus, 
And yet our stories can be a whole other one. And it may go like this. I know God forgives, but he could never forgive me. Not this time. I'm still waiting for this prayer to be answered. God has forgotten. God has given up on me. He'll answer everyone else's prayer, but I don't think he cares about mine. I'd hoped that situation would have worked out differently. I don't think God is as good as he says that he is. With all that's going on in the world at the moment, I don't think God really cares. It doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't impact other people. And so our stories can go on. And before we know it, we're walking along the road of 2020. We're walking along the road into the rest of our lives, away from Jerusalem, where we were made to be. And we're setting off on a whole other road with our own stories. But what does Jesus do with these disciples? He came to find them on their journey. He comes right into the middle of their story and he asks them questions. This is where he starts, tell me what's going on with you. Tell me where you're at. And he walks with them in their story as they tell him. He doesn't ask the question and leave. He listens. He stays and he walks with them as they tell him the story that they have written. But he doesn't leave them in their story. He doesn't leave them in their story. What did he do? He opens the scriptures. He opens the Bible. The living word of God, Jesus brings the written word of God right into their situation, right into their thinking, right into their conversations, not as a pat answer or as a cliche, but actually as a gift to walk them back to life. He brings the scriptures alive with them. He changes the course of their story as he brings it into their situation. He also brings it into their future. He changes the course of their story with the Bible. And if you know this morning that you have got caught in a story of your own writing, maybe you've been discussing Jesus without seeing him, discussing your life without recognizing his presence. I believe that Jesus wants to interrupt our journeys this morning and point us here, just like he did all those years ago with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that Jesus would say to us today, what are you talking about? It matters to me. Everything that is going on in your mind, in your heart, in, in your understanding, it matters to me. Tell me. Be honest with me. Tell me. Where are you at? I'm not intimidated by your skepticism or put off by your hopelessness. Just tell me. Tell me where you're at. But Jesus was also saying, I love you too much to let you keep walking in that story you're writing. I love you too much to keep on talking this way. And some of us need to know this morning that us looking at this story today at the beginning of this year is Jesus coming to interrupt your journey. Some of us need to know that us recognizing him in this story is him coming to say, hey, I don't want you to continue any further down this road into this year with the story that you're telling yourself today. I'm coming to interrupt and I want to ask questions of your heart and I want you to be honest with me. And I want you to tell me where you're at. This is him coming to find you. 
This is him coming to ask you to be honest. This is him opening his, your eyes to see him loving you in the midst of it all. And some of us need to hear the next part of what Jesus said to the disciples. How slow are you to believe? Don't be so foolish. God will always be love because he is love. He can't do anything outside of love. And sometimes within that love, he disciplines us. He calls us back again. We told you he actually disciplines the ones that you love. So if you sense it's not a conviction, it's not a feeling of guilt or overwhelming, but it's actually a, I need to adjust something here. I need to pay attention to something here. It's a discipline to strengthen us and bring us more freedom. He would actually say to us, hey, church, don't be so foolish. Don't be so slow to believe you've got this. You've got this. Don't go around writing your own stories when you've got this. Don't keep on talking about what you have been talking about for years when you've got this. This isn't a nice thing that you can just put on your bedside table. This will walk you to life. Don't be so foolish. You've got it. You've got the story that you can live alive in. If we're followers of Jesus, or we want to be, but we don't hold this as the light to our path, to walk through this year. We'll be able to tell ourselves all kinds of stories and we'll get so consumed by them that we'll live life completely missing the power and the beauty and the tension of the story of God that we're meant to be alive in. Why did Jesus open the Bible? Why did he go to the scriptures? Because what the Bible tells us what the Bible is and we're told that it's food for our souls. It actually nourishes us. Jesus himself quoted the Bible when he was alive here on earth. And he says, listen, I don't live by bread alone, but actually life is found. I live by this word. There are some meals that we'll just eat because we need to eat. And we just do it because our body needs it. And there are some meals and we're like, oh my goodness, that was amazing. And sometimes we just need to read the Bible because it's what we need to do. And there are some times when we will read it and we will think, oh my goodness, like wow, I've never noticed this before or this has come alive in a whole other way. The Bible, we're told, is also a light to our path. If you've ever been in the country on a dark night and you need to get back to your tent or whatever it may be, you will know how necessary a light is to walk you through a dark field. We're told that the Bible can light our steps and lead our path through life. It's wisdom. We're told if we read it and we live it, we'll actually be building a house of wisdom. We'll be building a life of wisdom. It's the sword of the spirit. We're told in Ephesians that we have an armor that we can wear and actually that the word of God, the Bible is alive and active and we can use it to come against the enemy of our souls. This is what Jesus did. He quoted it when he was being tempted in the desert. It stares our worship. It gives us an understanding of identity of who we are and who God is. It gives vision and clarity so that we can understand the context of life. There will be things happen that we don't understand or we don't want to happen. This will help us actually understand the context for them and the bigger story that we're part of. It helps give rhythms to our lives. Jesus broke into the disciples' journey by making himself known through the Bible, so much so that later on when they sat down and when they'd invited Jesus into their house and he broke bread and their eyes were opened and they recognized him, their conversation changed and they turned and they said to each other, 
when our hearts burning within us when Jesus opened the scriptures to us? When our hearts burning within us, looking back, they could see where God was at work in their lives. Looking back, they could see what he was doing. And what happened when they did that? We're told they got up at once. A little earlier on, it was too late at night and they needed to come in and rest. Now, their hearts had been awakened. They got up at once and they returned to Jerusalem. And they started to tell the story of how they had counted Jesus and who he really is. They returned to community. They returned to where they were supposed to be. They were returning to where Jesus was asking them to be. Pope Francis says this in one of his Easter messages. The two disciples became witnesses of the hope that is Christ because they met him. Jesus is the risen traveler that journeys with us, and Jesus is here today. He is in his word. The road to Emmaus becomes like a symbol of our journey of faith. The scriptures and communion, which we have shared this morning, are indispensable elements for meeting with the Lord. Jesus didn't reveal himself to the disciples on this road with one word like he did with some other people. He led them to a gradual discovery as he opened the Bible. He walked with them. Our Christian life isn't going to be built from one amazing experience to another as powerful and as real and as true as they are. It's actually going to be built as we read the Bible daily, as we walk daily with it and allow Jesus to show us who he is and who we are through it. If you are searching for life or you're searching for longing, sorry, maybe you're searching for, maybe you want to long, but I meant to say if you're longing for hope. (laughs) If you want to know more of God, if you want to know more of this life, there's three things that we can do this year. Number one, we can read the Bible. Number two, we can read the Bible. Number three, Yes, friends, yes. I honestly believe that God is actually awakening us again to the power and the beauty of this book, to take it seriously, to treasure it, to love it, to delve into it, that as a church, we would honor this word, that as a church, as we head into 2020, we would be so grateful for the gift that we have been given and we can recognize how we can know Jesus and help it walk us through this year, not as a religious exercise to earn God's favor or his love. Sometimes I think we're more interested in that than God ever is. He's never put anything like that on us, but because as we read it, It awakens us and we can't help but live more love-filled lives. And I know I just said, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And I think sometimes we can confuse it and make it more complicated than it is. And it is that simple. But I also know that the Bible isn't always a simple book. It's not also an easy to read book. Maybe you've tried it. Maybe you've just got a bit stuck or you don't quite get it. Actually, when we wrestle with it, there'll be parts of the Bible that might make us angry. They might confront us. There might be parts of it that actually we wish we didn't know about because now we have to have a response to it. There'll be more questions raised sometimes than we have answers for. There'll be parts of it that we just need to work out. These are all valid responses to the Bible. It's alive and it's active, which means that we wrestle with it in our lives. We allow it to read us as we read it. And maybe it can be we gather together and we have dinner with friends and we say, this verse, what on earth? 
how, what does, like, where do we go from here? And together we study and we decide to devote time to actually having conversations about it. Or we say, do you know what? You'll never believe it. This verse, this is what it meant for me. This is what it did for my story. But we actually work this out together. And to this year, we actually say, oh my goodness, I am going to go for it. Maybe we've done that every year since we have known Jesus. We never stop. We never stop because there is always more. If you're thinking, brilliant, I'm in, how do I do it? There are some great things that we can use that are out there to help us. I've just put three up that help me. Maybe over coffee you could say, hey, what do you use to help you read the Bible? Come for lunch, we can talk about it. Because I'm sure there'll be thousands of other things out here. Lectio 365 is a resource from 24-7 Prayer that is a daily eight-minute, it's like talking. Uh, it's an app that talks. <laughs> so you're not reading it, but they're, you're, they're actually talking you through the Bible um, for eight minutes. The Bible in One Year is an app and is also a book. If you think, I'd love to read the, the whole Bible this year, this is a really helpful resource that I found. Seeking God's Face is this little book that just um, brings bits of the Bible every day that I am really enjoying and it just helps to pray the Bible. As I say, there are so many things out there, but don't get stuck on your own. There are ways that can help us, things that can help us read the Bible, but it will take a shift in our priorities. It will take a decision and an intention to mature. And if you're thinking, brilliant, I just don't have time. There is no season in our lives that is outside of God's heart for us. Whatever we may have going on, whatever it may be, there is a way we can ask God to help us. We have a Holy Spirit who is a helper. God, would you help me order my life so that I can bring this into it? One of the questions that I'm going into this year with is, how can I order my life so that others can follow Jesus? The Bible can help us order our lives well. And if we make this decision, if we decide as a church that we are going to honor this, that we're going to read it every day, that we're going to take it in, we're going to chew on it, we're going to talk about it, we're going to allow it to shape our story and our walk. I confidently promise us that if we gather together here this time next year, whatever may have befallen us this year, we will be all the richer for it. We will be more alive, we will be more confident, We'll be stronger, we'll be more awake. If we want to steward what God is doing in our generation, if we want to be paying attention to what the Father is doing at this time, in this city, on this earth, this is the story that will frame it for us. Let's not get lost in our own stories. I wonder if the band would like to come back. Thanks, gorgeous people. There is one way um, that we can read the Bible. Maybe you practice this. Um, and it's called Lectio 360. No, it's not. <laughs> That's the app. <laughs> it's called Lectio Divinia. And it is a divine reading, basically, is all that it is. And it's just actually stopping and just reading maybe a few verses and just reading them over a few times, three or four times, and just asking ourselves questions as we do. What stands out to me in, these pas in this passage? What phrase, phrases or words are connecting with me particularly? What word is maybe speaking into a situation? What is causing me to ask a question of God? What do I want to pray back to God in this passage? 
And it's just reading it a few times and then engaging with it in this way. And so just as the band play and before we sing um, together and we continue to worship, I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 33 that was a psalm that came to mind for us this morning as I was praying. And I'm just going to read it. I'll read it a couple of times. And just you might want to just, this is up to you, (laughs) engage with this as you will, but you might want to just engage with this in this way. What words in this psalm are standing out to me? What response is this bringing up in me? What question is this making me ask of God? What might I want to pray from this psalm back to God? Stop. I'll just read Psalm 33. For God's word is something to sing about. God's word is something to sing about. He is true to his promises. His word can be trusted. Everything he does is reliable and right. His word can be trusted. The Lord loves seeing justice on the earth. Anywhere and everywhere, you can find his faithful unfailing love. For God's word is something to sing about. He is true to his promises. His word can be trusted. Everything he does is reliable and right. The Lord loves seeing justice on the earth. Anywhere and everywhere, you can find his faithful, unfailing love. God, let your love and steadfast kindness overshadow us continually. Let your love and steadfast kindness overshadow us continually, for we trust and wait upon you.